Welcome to Inside Scope, the American Gastroenterological Association podcast that will help you advance your patient care one half hour segment at a time. Join us to hear from the experts, learn new skills, and stay abreast of changing best practices. We'll be tackling a different topic each month, so make sure to subscribe and join us on our mission to improve digestive health for all. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Erin Forster, your co-host for our podcast on increasing diversity in IBD trials. In this six-part series, my co-host, Dr. Ayana Lewis, and I will speak with a variety of stakeholders about diversity in the clinical trials workforce and in clinical study participation. On today's episode, we're going to explore how contract research organizations, or CROs, are working with investigators and sponsors to increase the diversity of patients enrolling in clinical trials. Our guest is Dr. Gabriela Radulescu, Vice President of Medical Research and Development at Alimentive, a CRO specializing in gastroenterology trials. Dr. Radulescu has more than 20 years of experience working in the pharmaceutical industry across multiple functions, including medical affairs, drug safety and pharmacovigilance, clinical research, real-world evidence, and patient support programs. At Alimentive, Dr. Radulescu provides medical leadership for sponsor clinical trials, operational oversight for R&D projects, and medical input to the business development teams. Dr. Radulescu, thanks for joining us today. Could I ask you to tell us a little bit about your career journey and what led you to your current role with a CRO? Thank you very much for having me on. My career started, I'm a, what in Canada would be called um, a foreign medical graduate. So I finished my education in, in Romania and then I moved to Canada. And the landscape of trying to become a licensed physician in Canada about 30 years ago was not the easiest of pathways. So I found myself being able to put my skills to service in the pharmaceutical industry. So this is how sort of I started working in the industry. And I've had the the absolute pleasure to be involved with some of the best companies out there, some of the most socially responsible pharmaceutical companies, then work on some of the most interesting and sort of beneficial for patients treatment. And IBD was the time that I spent most of my career on. And here I am today at Alimentive. I work with a group of absolutely fantastic professionals who are all dedicated to really making, bringing a difference for IBD patients, as well as for the general landscape and for clinical practice in IBD. Fantastic. IBD certainly holds a special place in my heart, and I would bet the listeners for today's episode. One of the things I'd like to explore is how enrolling diverse patients into clinical trials remains a challenge. What strategies have you employed to help with recruitment, and have you found some strategies to be more effective than others? Well, Alimentive is a CRO with a very unique set up and very unique features in the industry. We are an organization centered around and driven by science. We have a global footprint in terms of our CRO operations and scientific partnerships. So inherently there is diversity in our approach on in how we operationalize, operationalize clinical trials. But above that, as an organization, we really made a firm commitment and sort of dedication to put the time and effort in bringing diversity, not just in the way that we think and operate as an organization, but bring that view to the sites and sponsors that we actually work with. It's known, I think there is research that really demonstrates very clearly 
that patients enrolled in IBD clinical trials aren't the ones that exist in the real world. And we actually did some of our own work in a research study that we published in gastroenterology in 2022 that showed that there is an underrepresentation of minorities and races in Crohn's clinical trials. So it's actually very clear that something needs to be done about it. We, from Alimentive's perspective, we've actually put our efforts together and involved senior leadership in sort of supporting and sponsoring these, these efforts to bring diversity and inclusion in clinical trials. We do a number of things that we try, some are applicable to some of the studies and some are not applicable to all of the studies. But there isn't a one particular strategy that actually has been found more effective than others. So when we think about, we do a lot of protocol design and our R&D group is very involved with sponsors in early drug development and creating effective and efficient clinical trials. So we try to design protocols that are patient-friendly, that involve fewer assessments that need to be done at sites, that are mindful of the patient burden, both on the examinations that have to be done, as I said, at sites that might be invasive versus what could be done at home through decentralization of clinical trials, through home assessments, through administration of investigational products in the home setting to ensuring that patients have access to the sites by providing compensation, appropriate compensation to patients for their time and effort to travel and the time that they spent at the sites. So there is a number of of initiatives that we consider for each clinical trial. I don't have a lot of data to actually sort of link directly to which one is more effective than another, but I think it's a multifaceted approach that has to be individualized for each IBD trial that is designed and executed. Of course. I know we kind of jumped right into trials. Can we take a step back and explore how a provider would be engaged with Alimentive? Can you kind of describe the pharma CRO site relationship? Because I know some of our listeners are looking to become more involved in clinical trials overall and what that journey for them might kind of look like. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, we're always, always looking to expand our site network and we would welcome any reach out from any one of the listeners who would be involved and interested in becoming a research center. The very typical sort of process by which clinical trials are come about to be executed is that a sponsor engages in drug development in IBD. They may have a compound which is in early development or has undergone the first stages of drug development. And it's sort of, you know, at that stage where is a pivotal phase three study, which is the sort of the last step before a regulatory application can be made. As an organization, we focus a lot of our time in uh, conducting early phase clinical trials. So we're very involved in phase one, phase one Bs, phase two studies. And as we move into the later phase studies, the phase threes, We are growing as an organization in that space and we provide effectively medical imaging services for excess of 80% of the drugs being developed currently in IBD. We're a full service CRO, which means that we provide services from protocol development and study development all the way to data analysis and statistics. In fact, we have a, a group of medical writers who are 
specialized in writing clinical study reports and manuscripts for the studies that we conduct and for other studies in gastrointestinal diseases. So we really have like an end-to-end sort of service offering to our sponsors. So sponsors would reach out to Alimentive and say we are at the beginning of, we're interested in putting together a clinical development plan for our compound. We are in very early stages. We're preparing for a pre-IND meeting or we are preparing for some other type of regulatory interaction and we need some help. We would then have a discovery discussion with the respective sponsor to understand what their services are required. And then they decide to do a clinical trial. Let's just say a phase two clinical trial because they would have done their phase one in the early, early stage. And at that point, our team is comprised of cross-functional resources. So we'd have medical resources, clinical operations, stakeholders, statistics, regulatory, medical imaging stakeholders at the table. And we sit and we think through what would be the best strategy for that study. And that involves anything from what if the protocol hasn't been designed, what is the most appropriate design? Is there a place for an adaptive design where some of the challenges of patients participating in clinical trials could be addressed by diminishing the placebo arms or by removing the need for placebo arm strategies that actually help developing more pragmatic protocols all the way to what are the countries, what are the sites, what do the sites look like, what are the expectations for participation by each site in terms of patients to be recruited, what does the project management sort of oversight look like, what is the statistical service sort of looks like. So we take every single stage of the study and we create a strategy that we feel fits best that particular initiative. Then there is a sort of an element of trying to understand what the budget would be for such study. And then the sponsor, let's say, agrees that this is in partnership with us. They wish to work together to execute that clinical trial. And at that point, we would go out and look for appropriate clinical sites that we believe would be able to support the study in a way that it would sort of finish within the set timelines. And when we look for sites, we look for sites that have some experience in clinical research that demonstrate through a feasibility exercise that they have the patient population, the resources, the experience, the background necessary to conduct clinical trials, producing sort of patients' well-being in mind, but also producing quality data and making sure that the sponsor's requirements and objectives are met. And it starts from there. And then our our clinical operations team takes over and the study kicks off and on we go. Excellent. And so the person that will serve as the main emissary between Alimentive and a site, what's that person called? How often would you be interacting with Mm -hmm. them? And they're kind of the handholders through the process? Yes. So at the beginning in the study startup stage, there would be a study startup specialist who reaches out to the site to introduce the study, to understand the feasibility of its participation in that respective clinical trial, and to sort of work through any barriers that might be in place at that point. That also the people who work with the sites to collect all the regulatory documents to provide support for their local ethics submissions. So to provide 
anything that would be administratively required by the site to actually be able to initiate the clinical study at that particular site. The frequency of interactions really varies on the responsiveness of the site, on the type of site that there is. We work with both what we call sort of community sites, but also university-based sites, and the complexity and the requirements for each are different in terms of what's needed in order to be able to launch. So the frequency of interactions is different, and the type of documents that are required is a little bit different. Once the site is committed to participate, it is the clinical operations team, namely a clinical research associate that takes over as a main point of contact with the sites. And the clinical research associate is really the key first line sort of reach for that site in order to connect to the rest of the alimentive team and receive, you know, whatever is required or have whatever support is needed for that study. So the clinical research associate, also known as the CRA, would be the person to reach out to and would be the person who would schedule the next steps. Excellent. I know that the series with whom we have worked have been keys to the relationship between sites and the CROs. We've talked about how to increase sites overall. What have you guys found to be successful for encouraging more patients to participate? Are there training programs that you work with the sites on? Is there PR campaigns? How do we improve patient participation overall? Well, this is a really good question. And whoever, you know, finds the perfect combination of things to do, I think wins the grand prize, at least in IBD, where it is is very well known that recruitment of patients in IBD clinical trials is actually extremely difficult for a number of reasons. We use various approaches to work with the sites, anything from Supporting them in achieving, you know, cultural competency at the site level. So, and and if we talk about diversity and bringing, reaching out to a broader patient uh, patient base, it is not always just about gender. It is, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, it's about thinking of mechanisms by which patients who are quite remote from the site have access to the site, which would really increase and support patient participation from a broader kind of perspective. We also work with the sites to create patient materials that are culturally and linguistically competent and suitable for their patient population, which is also going to make the patient's ability to understand what the study is about much better. We we engage on a regular basis with a patient advisory committee, which is sort of a forum where we place all these types of questions that you're just asking me. We reach out to patients to provide that feedback and help us and sort of guide us through things that we can do within our organization to facilitate patient recruitment. And so what we hear from patients is that education on what is a clinical trial and why should one be participating in a clinical trial is very important to many of the patients. So we try to support sites with that. We also support sites with their ability to have ongoing dialogue with the patients rather the informed consent process and create informed consents that are actually written at grade eight, which is the expectation, you know, the rule and the guidance that we would we would want every clinical trial to be working by so that patients really understand what is the risk and benefit rate sort of balance for their participation. We are very keen on simplifying clinical trials and designing 
clinical trials that are pragmatic where patients feel that they don't have to undergo much more significant sort of burden in terms of examinations, in terms of questionnaires, in terms of times that they have to actually be seen at the site. But at the same time, all of these activities in other parts of the world are very, very appealing to patients because they feel that they receive a more attentive medical care. They participate in a clinical trial. So, and this is to say that we're very culturally mindful in terms of how patients in general perceive medical care and access to medical care throughout the world. If you look from East to West, patients on the East side of the world, as you go, you know, from Eastern Europe and, and East from there, are really keen participating in clinical trials because their healthcare is actually enhanced uh, by doing that, as opposed to, you know, when you come towards the West side of the globe, the elements of a clinical trial that speak to patients are appealing to them change and evolve as we move towards a more Westernized world. So as I said earlier, I think it's, it's just this multifaceted approach that you have to take with each trial and understand what is the patient population, what are the trial requirements, work with the sponsor to create inclusion and exclusion criteria that actually don't limit the patient populations to a degree where enrollment is either very, very difficult or it would be over a long period of time in a space that is very, very competitive. I think there are probably over a hundred new compounds in development for IBD, if we look at both ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. So the environment is very, very competitive and the competition for each patient is very fierce in the field. Absolutely. I think being a participant in a clinical trial is at least a part-time job. And so it's really nice to have good partnership with CROs that recognize the time, travel, and housing burdens that come in participating. Because if if that weren't a part of things, patients across all the spectrums, gender, race, SES, a rural versus urban populations would certainly be facing big obstacles. On one of the other podcasts, um, we talked about the difference between using words like clinical trial versus clinical research opportunity. And you had mentioned some like linguistic adjustments. What have you found have been meaningful adjustments that you've made at Alimentive to make a clinical research opportunity more appealing to those across the spectrum? I think it starts with informed consent. In my opinion, it all starts with informed consent and really making an effort to actually write informed consent for clinical research opportunities in a way that they speak to the patients and in a way that they understand what is it that they're committed to. The IBD research world is evolving very, very rapidly, and we've entered the space where, for the same purpose of reducing or minimizing the invasiveness of how patients are assessed in clinical trials, intestinal ultrasound is one of the newest modalities that we actually we actually work with. And there is great interest in the field to introduce intestinal ultrasound in clinical trials. And we're now writing informed consent forms for clinical studies that sort of try to explain to patients that you're under, this is an examination that in real world, you'd probably not even think about it, you know, five seconds because it's non-invasive. You just go to your appointment, you have an abdominal ultrasound, which everybody understands what it is. And it's the same thing. And to try to create that language in, in an informed consent is actually quite, you know, writing to grade eight level is quite challenging as one might 
probably not necessarily unless you tried. It's not that easy. So I think it starts there. And I think that critical use of language that is comprehensible by the patients to me is one of the most important things and try and create informed consents that are not 36 pages long where patients really get lost and they're probably information that is overwhelming. Definitely. I think, you know, everybody, you mentioned the intense patient competition for IBD patients and the kind of differences between those that end up participating in clinical trials versus those that we encounter in the real world. I've had a gastroenterologist in the past say that the presentation of options when somebody's in a visit is, you know, drug A, drug B, drug C, and clinical trial X, like all in the same line, so as to not make the clinical trials seem out of the ordinary. How does Alimentive encourage sites to enroll such that it's not a big difference between what a standard of care would be and including somebody in a clinical trial? And how does that translate into diverse patient enrollment? Well, I think it's a very good question, and, and I think it's a challenge, and it much depends on a number of factors. The investigators' training, background, experience matters, I believe, significantly in the way that the availability or the opportunity to participate in a clinical research versus choosing a therapy that's already available on the market. That's one of the factors. The second factor is the availability of approved therapies that are reimbursed for. So, I, and, and this is what we observe in, for example, in the United States, one of the reasons in the United States, enrollment for inflammatory bowel disease trial is actually quite low. And there is a patient population that's not untapped. And those are the patients who, who don't have access to insurance and who do have disease severity that warrants their participation in a clinical trial because there is no access to one of the marketed advanced therapies, for example, for a mild, for a moderate to severe patient with Crohn's disease. There is an interference by the socioeconomic status, by the location of the sites that these patient groups, which we believe is one subpopulation that we are making efforts to find an inroads in, how do you reach these patients that actually need advanced therapy and have no other access to it. So that's that's one of the things that we pay quite a bit of attention to and try to work with the sites. It is always one of the other elements that contributes is the design of the study and the type of patients that the study requires. And inflammatory bowel disease, as, as you know, many of the listeners may, may know, there is a clear sort of separation between the disease severity and the treatment history of the patients who come in. So if patients have been exposed to advanced therapies in the past, they're viewed and categorized in one subgroup of patients. But if patients have had just conventional therapies in the past and they're categorized in another sort of group of patients, and these are the patients who it is a little bit easier to see an efficacy signal because the confounding factors are fewer and the patients may have less refractory disease. So to find patients in, and on the other hand, you know, the availability of biologics in inflammatory bowel disease has increased in the last five to seven years 
multifold. And so most patients in the Western world have already been exposed to a biologic, which makes them ineligible for a study that's actually looking for bionaive patients. So I think all of these elements are contributors to how one thinks about where are we going to, to try and position the study in terms of countries and sites. I hope this answers your I, question. Yes, certainly it does. And I think one thing I want to share with listeners is that a clinical trial or a clinical research opportunity is an opportunity for all comers, those that are well-resourced, well-insured, those that are underinsured, those that are uninsured. And it's not just so that a CRO can capture that data. In fact, I would say that it's it's allowing them access to the care that they deserve, both the provider care, the scopes, the labs. It's a ticket to ride that they might not otherwise have, have access. And I think that CROs do a good job to support that integration. Because you're right, there is a big distinction between the bio-naive and the bio-exposed patients. And so providers in the community settings and academic settings need to see the the clinical research opportunities as just that, as opportunities to get Mm -hmm. what they might not otherwise be able to. Is there anything else that you feel our listeners should hear about diversity in clinical trials from the perspective of a CRO? Should we all go to alimentive.com and say that we want to be a trial site? Please. <laughs> Please come to alimentive.com and engage with us. Let us know that you would like to be a clinical trial site. Somebody from our team will reach out. We'll sort of have an open discussion on all sorts of things, particularly one of the single biggest barriers of sites of gastroenterology practices, let's just say, becoming research sites is the availability of resources and training. So we are very open to sort of work with sites to provide that bit of, a, of an infrastructure and that bit of training that's required to really understand, you know, what GCP is, which is, this is where the, the, the whole thing starts and work with physicians and gastroenterologists to support in their in their efforts to become a research site would be very happy. In fact, we are on an ongoing sort of lookout for new sites and we could find, and particularly in the United States and particularly in the community, if, if I were to sort of put a call out for that reach out to happen. So please do send a message. It's good to hear that Alimentive have programs to help support growth from programs that may be starting out because it can be an intimidating process trying to figure out IRBs and having a research coordinator and things like that. But it seems like there's a real um, partnership from Alimentive and other CROs in the space because the landscape of IBD, as you mentioned, is rapidly changing. The pipeline of drugs is very full. We're very fortunate to be living in this time. And so it's a great opportunity. Now's the time to get involved in clinical trials. And then we can each individually as listeners be the force of change to help encourage diverse patient enrollment for everybody's benefit. Our data from those pivotal phase three trials often stands to have improvement in the the table one diversity data, you might say. And so that's everyone's task. Any closing words, Dr. Radulescu, or we'll get our wrap up taken care of. Well, I, once again, I appreciate the opportunity of bringing Alimentive into this podcast that our organization is one of the leading sort of groups that conducts research in the GI space, particularly in IBD. 
we're proud of, of the contribution that we're able to make both scientifically and to the sort of drug development landscape in IBD. So once again, I feel privileged to be able to share some of our thoughts with you. Of course. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Gabriela Radulescu, and all of you for joining us on today's episode. Be sure to check out the other episodes in our series on diversity and IBD trials. This program is made possible by support from an educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated, Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb Company, Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, Janssen Biotech Incorporated, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, and Takeda Pharmaceuticals USA, and a quality improvement grant from Pfizer Incorporated. Thanks for listening to Inside Scope, an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. For more GI education, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org.